cord. Just keep twisting it. Nope, I got it. There you go. See, I told you. I'm very proud of you, Larry. I mean, compared to how things were going earlier, I think. I know. Yeah, pretty damn well. <laughs> Big improvement. I mean, look, I even moved this whole thing. I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of you, too. Kissable. I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> That's my mic check. You'll make out with the pop filter, okay. The sweet sounds of silence. Oh yeah, so we we can't eat when we're doing the recording, just you know. Like last time? Yeah, like last time. When we ate all through the game of betrayal? Yes. Well no, that's a stream. But the that stream, is, stream fine. is fine. Uh this because there's no video, we rely heavily on the audio. Understood. And the audio needs to uh be adjusted a little bit because why is one side way higher than the other? Testing. I'm going to start talking. Uh, this is right channel. This is left channel, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So, when I talk, it seems to go wonky. I can't see from here, but tell me what it's doing when I say something. You're fine. Awesome. How about me? Maybe it's my thing that's also kind of wonky. Wibbly wobbly noodly wibbly. I think your thing is just what's supposed so to be slightly. It is both of you, yeah. It's both your things. Also, it's, uh, when I talk, it makes a lot larger noises, or larger spikes on the on the graph. Color you you're red. Your gain is green. Oh, because your gain is really high. What about blue? Blue had really high gain as well. Oh my god, now I'm so quiet. Oh no, goodbye, Chris. It doesn't. It doesn't matter like too too much. It while I'm talking, like we know it's gonna be weird because this side of the mic's only getting my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes you get really quiet. Today's been a great day. Like everything's been going right, smooth sailing. Game didn't take forever. The game was nice and quick. I don't know. It's Stephen didn't completely screw us. With his stupid bag of potions. <laughs> uh, really, all I could have screwed was myself with that bag of potions. Oops, all ants. <laughs> uh, true, I did start the debacle. <coughs> There's gotta be. Oh, hold on, was that? What? Ian, do you have the uh, intro? I do feel I do bad about starting the haunt oh, at the literal that? first huh? possible. Did you write that like, while you were playing? Uh, no, I wrote that right before we started playing. Oh, nice. And I've been editing it recently. All right. Well, on on the so, uh, hi, hi. Uh, can we keep uh, Larry say something? Yes, this You're, would be Larry. Okay. Oh. Do you need more from me, or are you good? No, uh, we're good. It it's is it me? No, it's the microphone. I mean, you're always the problem. But besides that, oh, I don't know. Oh, that's so no no uh so these the XLR cables just twist them and make sure they're tight, just like you did. So yeah. I don't have to do it. You don't have to. Uh, well, I don't have one over here. So no, it, it, it's the so, yellow. Yep, yep. This guy. Yep, yep. So you want to twist them together and make sure they're tight. Yeah. 
They should feel tight. Twist and tilt. They are not going anywhere. That's fine. The nude's good. I also have weak little lady fingers, so. Oh, are you a landlord too? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, yeah, I guess this is as good as it's gonna get. All right, let's go. We'll figure it out. Zoopy bop. All right. In five seconds for. Welcome to another spooky episode of Dancing with the Bards. I'll retake that. I mean, that wasn't a problem. The problem was when you stopped speaking. What have we not gone for cringe on our intro? You gotta put more inflection into the spooky man. You gotta really, you gotta sell go it. full you gotta sell it or no cringe. Yeah, yeah, but but your face, I just I stopped because it was so bland. You're like, welcome to another spooky episode. <laughs> Don't make all right, all right. Put on a voice. Yeah, have a little fun with it. Welcome to another spooky episode of Dancing with the Bards. This week. We're covering Betrayal at the House on the Hill, a game published by Avalon Games. This board game has the players work together, or sometimes against one another, as they try to survive a haunted house. The original game was released in 2004, and the Legacy Edition we are we played, and the Legacy Edition we played was released in 2018. Ah ah ah! Prepare for the scary shenanigans as we dive into this popular board game. I, I think we And I immediately apologize to all the people of Transylvania for that horrible, horrible slur of an accent. We would like everybody to know that Transylvanians are not automatically vampires most of the time. When we said put on an accent, I don't think we meant put on that much of an yeah, accent. Yeah, I, I didn't mean, you know get abducted to a Transylvanian street gang and be forced to talk to <laughs> You know what? I think that, that gang definitely <laughs> took it to a new level with that one, and I, for one, am okay with it. Well, you're also about Transylvania. Yeah. <laughs> and your card. Hey, we'll just cut this part out. Yeah, yeah we're going to cut this part out. No we worries. Need, we need the Rick Killing Pizza accent part, too. It's pretty easy. No, no, that, that must stay in. No, that, that stays in, yeah. All right, shall we start talking about the game, then? Um, yeah. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Did we want to real quick touch on like the game that we played and the overall gameplay loop? I thought we were going to kind of just get to that as we go. I guess that's fair. Other than to say that our example was maybe not representative <laughs> of the real game length. <laughs> yeah. Most games are a lot shorter than that. Oops, all ants. Yeah, normally, normally it's like an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, we ended up in almost a three-hour game session. Yeah, the ants were totally to blank. Yeah. And us. We were also to blame. But mostly But I think all of us have actually played this game and variations of this game before. So we have overall a good idea of what this is, is about. Oh, I just realized we didn't do introductions. Hello, I'm Cross, one of the bards. I am Larry, one of the semi-frequent guests here. And I am Stephen. I have also been here before. And I'm Ian. I'm always here. And he's I've been here for everyone so far. Uh, you might notice that Brooke isn't with us this week. Uh, she had to uh, take care of some things. So. Me and Steven make a whole Brooke. Yeah, about. 
Almost. Really? You think that's all she's worth? <laughs> so uh, let's dive into number of players. All right. All right. Well, so does anyone know the the recommended uh, player that it had? Recommended three to five. Yeah, three to five. Okay. Was Which, that strictly for the legacy edition or for the base edition? For base, well? edition. base edition. No, base edition is actually uh, three, three to six. Three to six. Three to six. Yeah, there are six. No. Players. No, that's right, yeah. Three to six for that, three to five for... I mean, I, I gave it a three. I feel like uh, I, whether it's three to six for the normal edition or three to five for the legacy, I feel like like even with the maximum number that we had, things went pretty smoothly. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the good things that I didn't really touch on during gameplay as well is depending on the amount of players, it would depend on what spawns when the haunt starts. So since we were at max number of players, for example, we had a haunt that spawned a giant ant queen along with additional ants. With five players, it spawns four. With four players, it spawns three. With three players, it spawns two. So they do consistently make player adjustments as well regarding how many players are actually in the game. And uh, I actually said two for number of players, but I was thinking strictly the Legacy Edition when I said that. I really think that three to six is a sweet spot for a lot of these games. I think that is the typical number of players that you're going to be dealing with when you're looking for something to do in an evening or something. So I probably would have given it a full three if we were looking at the base edition three to six. Yeah, I, I would like to say this is pretty inclusive of most of the uh, the betrayal games for this this review, um, mostly just because there are a few of them. We have three different editions of the base game, Legacy. Uh, Betrayal and the Scooby-Doo iteration. When he says Betrayal, he means Baldur's Gate. Yeah. The D&D one. So two themed editions, three editions. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Excellent. I got you, buddy. He caught you slipping. Yeah. So I think you said inclusivity, and I don't think that you meant to move on to the next category, but is this a good time for it? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, three hours of gameplay, and I am out of it. You are tragic. So now, since, I, since I brought it up, I actually gave it a one for inclusivity, if only because so much of the gameplay is so heavily dependent upon reading. Card after card after card, tile after tile after tile, there is so much to read. So somebody who either has eyesight issues or somebody who has reading issues is going to really struggle with this game. For sure. I gave it a 2 for the same reason. Yeah, I also gave it a 2, mainly because, once again, there are so many small pieces, there's so much text that you have to go through. And then especially if you do get a hidden traitor role as well, where somebody has to read the tome by themselves, then that could also bring up issues. I just gave it a one and a half because I, with no book here, I have to cover all those half points. <laughs> but yeah, I think reading comprehension is the biggest uh, part of that inclusivity barrier, mm -hmm. which does kind of lead into that next part, which is the, I think the only one, one of the only ones I gave it was for comprehension. Uh, I personally find this game very, there, there's so many moving parts to it, it's very hard to keep track of everything. See, I actually gave it a three when it came to comprehension, because as much as there is consistently going on, everything flows together very easily. A lot of it almost plays itself 
if you can get over those hurdles, such as the reading comprehension or the finding small pieces or things of that nature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, some of what Ian is saying, I included in my lower inclusivity, where I was kind of bridging the gap between Ian and Larry with the comprehension of two. I think that a lot of the rules are situational enough that the core gameplay loop is quite simple. But there are a lot of branching paths that you have to worry about where it's like, okay, how do I do this? How do I do that? Let me go back to the book and just figure that piece out. I think that Monster Rules is a good example of that. It's a, that's an easy one to forget from game to game. Uh, I... <laughs> we'll cut that, don't worry. Yeah, I, I kind of zoned out. I was trying to do the tunnels. Uh, I actually gave it a two and a half year. Uh, I'm sort of in between uh, on these two positions. I do feel like there is a lot of moving stuff, and a, also it kind of interacts with the um, inclusivity. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to read, which you kind of have to refer to consistently. For example, my area had like six different cards that were supposed to be somewhere on the, the table just because we need to refer to them uh, consistently. Um, but I also feel like, as Larry said, everything kind of intermixes very easily. So there's uh, very few moments, if any, where uh, two different like rulings would coincide and conflict, um, or when we wouldn't know when uh, how something works, or if we didn't know how it worked or how they interacted, it was usually listed in the actual uh, rulebook itself. All right. As far as availability goes for something like this, it's I've seen it available at most local game stores. I've seen it available at Target. Yeah. I've seen it available consistently online. It's not really a struggle to get your hands on, regardless of any version. If you're looking for it, you'll most likely be able to find it pretty simply. And I gave it a three for that reason as well. Although there should be kind of a caveat here. Because they are currently working on the third edition, that could make earlier editions harder to find. Especially since, you know, from what little I've seen, they're making some, they're like planning some changes for third edition. So who knows how that's going to impact our enjoyment of the game going forward? That's availability. Yeah, that's definitely something for for any game because technically the one that we think of as the one we probably have all played is like the second edition. I guess it was technically a reprint for the first, so it might be a little harder to find, as you said, like the first edition. Yeah, second edition, I think, is basically the same as the first edition yeah. as far as how it works, how it goes, how enjoyable it is. Third edition is currently the unknown. Yeah. But as Larry said, this is probably one of the more popular board games that's out there. So mo almost every game store is going to have it. Some like larger retailers are also going to have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I've literally seen this available at Walmart and Target in the past. Matter of fact, I think my copy of Legacy I picked up from Target. <laughs> I've never I seen the House of now. Mysteries one though before, the Scooby Doo one. Yeah, but when I was looking doing research, I had never seen that before. I would love to play that. Yeah, so would I. I do feel one of the reasons why it's available in most places is because uh, most of the stuff that's provided in the game is fairly easy to manufacture. It's not like you have like metal tokens and things of that nature. Um, so you can get like what? A couple of cardboard stands for, or not stands, but uh, like character sheets yeah. in the base game with the tokens, and then all of the the cardboard uh, floor tiles and the cards. Yeah, it's not a very difficult game to manufacture, so it's available pretty easily. Mm -hmm. 
I ended up giving it a two for the material score. I think that no, definitely the ease of manufacture of materials is one thing, but they don't feel cheap at all. The tokens don't really go bad. They don't feel like they fall apart. They feel pretty well made, most of them. Uh, the character models themselves are of a decent quality plastic. They tend to weather multiple games without issues. I haven't really seen them break or fall apart. The paint doesn't fall off. Uh, so overall, yeah, I would say that the materials are pretty high quality despite their construction with one caveat, and that's the character sheets themselves. Since the character sheets now keep track of stats by a sliding plastic pointer, that tends to wear down over several games and just makes using the character sheets and the sliders more difficult and more frustrating. I will say to that point, uh, for at the very least the base game, uh, they do have an app you can download on your phone which does have all the character sheets and you can just manually edit the, uh, the stats from there. Uh, without having to use a character sheet, which would extend the life, but that technically doesn't come with the game, so it is like a supplemental extra. Is it free? Yes, it is free. Good to know. Yeah, I think uh, when we were running our, our session, because Larry's copy was very well used, because you did the whole legacy yeah, thing. Uh, Will had mentioned putting scotch tape around the edge of the, uh, the character sheet to uh, kind of make it easier to slide back and forth and kind of protect those edges of it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, once this, because I've played worn copies of this for uh, Game Club. They used to have a copy there, and it was, as I said, it's a popular game, so it's used very frequently, and it had very similar damages to the cardstock. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a good idea. Alternatively, you could just, you know, lubricate the cardboard. I, I, would, um, I don't think that works. No, let's not. I, I don't even want to consider that. Wait, I gave it a two for materials for that reason as well. I actually ended up giving it a three, mainly just because of how high quality the remainder of the components are. Yeah. The the sliders is something that's easy enough to overlook, personally, because the the miniatures that come with it are of high quality. You do get an entire extra set, and all of the rest of the tokens don't really feel cheapy. You know, there's there's some games that'll have punch out tokens that you're gonna rip the cardboard before it even comes off of the the screw that it comes on. So I, I do agree. I, I also gave it a three. Uh, I feel like I, I think I actually have a copy of the original one at home. Um, and while I've only gotten to play it once, uh, I tend to be very messy with most of my board games, uh, even though I try not to be. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think any of the pieces were actually damaged, even the actual uh, character sheets. All right, shall we move on to setup then? Yes. Something I've been dreading. Yeah. <laughs> it's a complicated one, that one. Who wants to take the first position on this one? I'll start off if you want me to. Go for it. That I ended up giving it a two for setup. I think that it's a very hard thing to grade because there's so many things to talk about here that a lot of it ends up kind of balancing out towards kind of the middle. I think that uh, the Legacy Edition definitely has more stacks of cards to keep track of and shuffle before the game, so it maybe involves a little bit more pre-setup than the base game would, but uh, apart from a couple of stacks of cards to shuffle and like a few tiles to put on the table, there's not that much setup that you need to do besides picking the characters. So I think that it's a fairly straightforward game to set up, at least if you're familiar with it already. However, uh, it's important to note that you build the board as you go. 
And so it gets more and more complicated as you go. And part of the gameplay loop is deciding how you build the board or how you modify in some ways. So it, the setup never really stops. And you know, once you get it all built and you're done with the game, now takedown yeah, isn't that bad. But there's, once you start getting tokens everywhere, it can be a bit more challenging to keep track of everything, or if you have to search through the uh, bag of tokens for specific tokens, that can maybe take a little bit more time. So it's there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I, I do feel like setup and breakdown should be included in the same uh, kind of point. I gave it a one and a half for this one uh, for very uh, much the same reasons. Uh, it is a consistent sort of effort that you have to put forward to uh, continuing to build it. So you never, you can never really not think about uh, where the next tile is going to go or when you're finished with it. And I, I should also say, technically speaking, you're probably not going to use all the tiles um, in a normal playthrough. Ours was just a little irregular and we ended up using every single one before we actually finished the game. Uh, we did win, though it was uh, by a very interesting manner. <laughs> nice McGuffin there, Bug. Yeah, no, there's no absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Especially considering how long it was going on for. Oh, yeah. And the ending yes. of a Hallmark film. <laughs> I, I do regret not getting my shot at the creature, but you know what? What works, works. Alright, so yeah, I mean, as far as setup goes, I also created a solid two across the board because while the the initial setup is four whole tiles, and everybody picks their characters. It's the the constant adding new pieces, searching for certain tokens, so on and so forth. That it, it becomes a little daunting after a while, and especially when you go to the cleanup as well. If you look at you know the the mess you have now created in front <laughs> of you, so to speak, it can seem a little a little much. Uh, two for me as well. I think we're all on the same page on this one. Uh, it's it's that matter of the fact that setup isn't just you set the game up and that's it. It's a constant process. I will say that I have played very few, if any, games of Betrayal where I really felt like it was dragging the game all that much. It has always felt like the game maintained an acceptable energy. And I guess that kind of leads us into rate of play as well. Yeah. That uh, very few games of Betrayal I've played have really felt unsatisfying. Now, it can feel boring at times if you're playing with the maximum number of players and you're dealing with many players who, through a combination of inexperience or just general nature, drag their feet a lot of it. But I do find that most games that I've played, everybody's invested enough in the game that we're all kind of involved all at the same time, even at other people's turns. So I really, I gave this a three for rate of play. I feel like it always maintains a satisfying clip and that it's always easy to stay engaged in it. I also gave it a three for rate of play because it does, it flows steadily once you get going. Even if it's, you know, your turn is going to be walking one square, the next person's turn is also probably not going to be that long. And there's also things that are going to develop whether it be near your player character or somebody else's, that it will most likely eventually affect you and keep you immersed. Uh, there is one thing I'd like to say to this, and it only technically counts towards our specific uh, circumstances that happened in our game, and that's that we had a effect during our playthrough that took place between turns. So it effectively doubled the amount of turns that were taking place throughout the round, which for me at least made 
uh, each round seemed much, much longer than it actually was. And you did shoulder the responsibility of determining which tile got drawn every time, so that was a little bit more work on you, too. So I can definitely see where you're coming from there. I will say, uh, I did give it a three for rate of play. That said, uh, the rate of play definitely depends upon the circumstances of the game. Luck definitely has a lot to do with pacing, for sure, based on what haunts you get, what items you have, what abilities your character has, who uh, ends up in the basement and who doesn't. It, that seems personal. It, you found your way out of the basement very quickly. Yeah, I did. So the thing is, is I've played this game enough to know that that's not always the case. That's true. And there are times where you'll have players that are just stuck on a floor <laughs> for ages, or they're stuck in a room or they have something blocking their path. So I'm just saying that the rate of play can definitely fluctuate a little for this game. For the most part, it's usually a pretty decent amount of pacing for me. But I've, I have had experiences that are usually uh, not the norm. But they do happen, where things slow down tremendously. Now, as, as far as pricing goes, quite honestly, the amount that you get for the cost, even in the Legacy Edition, which was $20 higher than uh, the base game, you get an entire campaign that you're going to develop your board throughout, and then you have, on top of that, at minimum 20 different haunts that you're going to play through that you would not have come across initially. So the, the value of the game is most certainly there. As far as base game goes, it's, it's an even better deal. And, uh... I ended up giving it a two for price, but possibly just because I'm stingy, I probably could have gone up to two and a half or three. It's hard to compare sometimes, but games of this type, you really don't find for less nowadays. You can't get a game of this size without you no know, putting out you know, $40 or more, I think. So this is definitely a good game in terms of you know, what you get for the price. And uh, if you can't afford the $50 or $70, then it's a real good investment. I'll go into that more once we get to uh, you know, replay value later. It's uh, about $53, I want to say, just to clarify, for a copy of the second edition, um, which is going to be like the base game at this point. So, yeah, it's a two for me too, Stephen, because I'm also very stingy, and I'm like the kind of person who's like, well, I wouldn't buy it, but I also know that most of my friends have. So I'm kind of in that uh, boat as well, where if it, if it were just me, I might spend that $50 someday, but it does seem like a lot to invest in a board game. Now, looking back on my own thought process, I also realized that I was perhaps making unfair comparisons to much cheaper games. So, and I'm talking about games where you can buy like a single deck of cards and play a game, like Flux or something. Mm -hmm. So those, those are not really comparable, but they are significantly cheaper. Uh, I I also gave it a two, but more so because I I wanted to give it a two specifically for the legacy edition because while it does have a much higher level of replayability, um, I do feel like I, I'm not sure if this is just personal opinion or if there's something uh, deeper going on in my brain. I, I honestly just sort of went for a knee jerk number here. Um, but I, I feel like for $70, there should have been something more. 
Uh, I know separately from the extra cards that you get and the uh, different variety in uh, the places that you can put the tiles uh, and the little color-coordinated things, uh, it, it didn't feel like there was much different compared from the base game, apart from uh, that extra level of depth of the, the Legacy Edition being able to uh, sort of grow and evolve your board from its baseline. So, Larry, having played through the Legacy Edition, going through that process, so what is your take on that? So, personally, as someone who played through the entire campaign, I actually feel like the extra $20 does justify it, because the way that the campaign is laid out is that you are playing five different families, one for each player, who keep going back to this house for whatever reason. There is a, There's an overarching story that develops that comes very late, until then you kind of just it's very Scooby-Doo-ish of, I can't believe these people went back to this house. But <laughs> eventually it will develop an overarching story, and I think the value that you get out of that, being able to get the same group every week and get to continue that experience, it, it almost becomes very rpg -like. And I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of it. Now, would I pay $70 for a completely finished copy? Not even a chance. But as playing through the campaign and then going into the free play mode, I actually enjoy it a lot more than I thought I was going to. So what about extras? Extras? I, I think it bombed on extras, personally, just because there's not, there's not much outside of what you're going to get in the box initially. I mean, I've, I've played, uh, what was it? It's uh, Widow's... Widow's Peak. Widow's Peak, right? Yeah. I played the Widow's Peak expansion. Uh, I know that there's the Baldur's Gate game, and I know that we have the... Now I know I now know we have Mystery, House of Mystery, which would love to play. I, I think that between the two variations of the game, the Legacy and uh, an expansion, I gave it a three because I also felt that there's not only a decent amount of content for it, but also room for other expansions. It's not the kind of game where it's difficult to put in new tiles, new haunts, things like that. And I ended up giving it a three as well, but uh, in talking about it more, I think I probably could have dropped that down lower, if only because much of the content are different editions of the game. Where unless you're a real Monopoly enthusiast, you're not necessarily going to go out and buy every custom kind of Monopoly there is just to collect them, because it's essentially the same game each time. Yeah. Similarly, uh, I will speak from a position of having not tried the uh, Baldur's Gate version or the Scooby-Doo version, but uh, my impression, oh, very uh, ill-informed as it is, is that you're essentially playing the same game with different themes, that uh, maybe a couple of new or different mechanics, so it's, it's not really a different game at that point. So the fact that it has one true expansion is maybe not extra. However, I would like to say the uh, app that Chris pointed out earlier definitely, I think, would fall into the extras category, and that's definitely, I would say, a quality of life improvement, especially as someone like me who gets a little bit annoyed at the cardboard of the character sheet getting a little frayed. Mm -hmm. uh, I will also note uh, best version of Monopoly, uh, the cheaters-only version. <laughs> Everyone already cheats at Monopoly, this one just adds a mechanic. You have never cheated at Monopoly. Monopoly. And you're a liar. 
just like that. Now nobody believes anything you say. They already did it, but everybody wants to be the banker for some reason. <laughs> That's all I'll say on that. Alright, well now things are getting personal, not mm -hmm. only on the podcast, but in our rubric. So either way, I don't think that either Ian or Chris, you have really commented on your idea of the extras, have you? I mean, I, I said that uh, I've, I've played at least, I've played a different edition once. I've oh, played Baldur's Gate. And I have played uh, the expansion for the main game. I, I personally count the different iterations as, ex I, I guess they're technically not expansions, but they definitely fall into the, the realm of extras for me. Uh, yeah, well, because they're remakes, but as you said, it's if you play them and you play uh, this game, it definitely is a different style. To the game, okay, same same enough. premise, but it, I mean it's it's different enough, I think. Okay, so different enough. enough. Different enough is different enough. So, Chris, uh, I my only real understanding of the extras, uh, apart from the baseline game and now the legacy edition, would have been the uh, the mobile app because that's the only one that I, I knew of prior to uh, us playing this. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't technically consider the uh, the remake slash retheming uh, editions of the game as extras, more so as completely different games, even though they run on the same system with similar mechanics. Uh, because obviously all of them will have some slight change to either the mechanics of the lore that make it, in my personal opinion, different. Uh, I did give it a 2 just because I feel like uh, just with the base game, the legacy content, and the app itself, along with all of the uh, potential options you have for homebrewing your own, whether they be uh, rules, rooms, characters, etc., um, just going completely off script. It's all kind of open to you. There's no system for it, but you could very easily see how one would be able to make one of those uh, like changes or additions to the game. Fair enough. So I'm going to stand by my wall. <laughs> If we average out. Yeah. But uh, enjoyment. Did you enjoy the game, Ray? Oh, most definitely. My enjoyment was at a full three. I, I still have a lot of fun with this. No matter which edition I am playing, it is one of my top games. Oh, I think we all actually gave it a three. Yeah, I think all of us did. I think all of us pretty much enjoyed this game. Yeah, I think I, I, it deserves it. Yeah. I, uh, I was first introduced to this game when I was in my undergraduate college back uh, this would have been when we were playing first edition because it was before 2010 and I have consistently enjoyed it ever since then. I think that it really hits a sweet spot as a game that has enough complexity to keep people you know, engaged, uh, plays smoothly enough to feel consistently fun throughout, and it's not a game that you really have to plan to play. It's easy enough to just pick it up and say, hey, let's play Betrayal. So it's uh, accessible enough that most you know, people without you no know, Diagnosed difficulties are going to be able to play it. So yeah, this just—it's a fun game. It really is a fun game. So uh, to get a, a slightly different opinion here, because I think we all really much like this game. We've all played this more than once. Uh, I'm going to put our sound guy on the spot, <laughs> and uh, so Will played this game with us, and this is his first time playing any of the betrayal games. I'd love to get your opinion on it. I enjoyed it. On a scale of one to three, I'm I'm gonna give this a a solid uh, three and a half. 
I, I did really enjoy this. This is up there with uh, Edge of the Empire, as in uh, two, two of my tops so far. For the episodes? Oh, yeah. yeah. Edge of the Empire was a ton of fun. <laughs> I would look that. <laughs> the boom is. You so much you broke the mic. And now we have uh, just here. The boom is the only thing that broke. I'm just holding the mic now, so sorry for anybody that has to be the sound guy. Do your job. You have to hold the mic now. Will's going to be the one who has to listen to this, so no one has to worry about this part coming in. We get to all hear it in real time right now. All right. Uh, testing one, two, three. I think so. Now we can go. Ah, there we go. Oh, welcome back. Uh, so I'd just like everybody to know that I was talking, but the mic was off, and I had no idea, because I don't notice things. Oh, you don't need to notice that stuff. I'm the one that knows when you're talking and not talking. I decide. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, do we have any more comments on enjoying it? I think that uh, Will's opinion was definitely valuable. Thank you for asking for that. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we had the opinion of somebody who hasn't gone through all this before. And considering that the experience we had for this game wasn't necessarily the norm, normally it goes a lot faster, uh, I, I figured it was good to get that opinion of someone who it's their first experience. Yeah, I'd like to say, as someone who's played this game a ton, even with possibly one of the worst scenarios we could have had, it was still a very enjoyable experience. So, solidly, I would recommend this game. I think that, uh, I mean, I did say that it was not very inclusive, but there are ways around that. Uh, you're generally playing with a bunch of people, so unless you're playing with a bunch of people who can't see or can't read across the board, then usually you can outsource that duty to someone else and get around that fairly easily. Uh, yeah, I've, I've met very few people who didn't have fun playing this game, including people new to it. I think that it deserves a good recommendation. I would say that as far as recommending, uh, I, I gave it a three as well. It's one of those kind of games that it's a very nice in-between between really complicated games, like, as far as board layout, right? If you compare this between, say, uh, what's a nice, simple game? Um, Trouble. Yeah, like, <laughs> okay, fine. Like, between Trouble and Twilight Imperium, this is a nice middle ground for people on the space between Trouble and Twilight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, is the, that is the full spectrum right there. I, I mean, it's not quite. I think, I think I think Candyland is like the bottom of that. Shoot some ladders. That's complicated. And you have to do math. Candyland is just go to the color. But yeah, it's it's a nice middle ground for people who are looking for people who are used to games that are a lot less complicated, and people who are used to games that are a lot more complicated. Yeah, if that makes sense. I'd still give it to you for recommendation just because if you do get the off chance that you get a group of people who have a lot of trouble either focusing or comprehension-wise, it, it can end up causing the game to drag quite a bit. However, as, as Steven pointed out, there usually will at least be one person there to carry the group through that. And uh, I actually gave it a two as well, despite my glowing recommendation. And I often think back to a game that I played with some, a group of people a few years ago. Uh, this wasn't Betrayal that I played, it was a different game. But it was similar. We played Pandemic, and in that Pandemic is generally a you know, cooperative game. And this group of players really wasn't ready for that. They wanted a competitive game of the more simple kinds that they were familiar with. 
So I'd definitely say that Well Betrayal does have the competitive element to it. It's one of those games where uh, it, maybe it's not your cup of tea, I don't know. I will also say that this was not a hidden traitor rule, but it is, it is worth bringing up that there are certain games that I've played where there was a hidden traitor role who the hidden traitor was very frustrated at the fact and managed to let the whole table know and kind of ruined the experience of the game. So there are some gripes here and there. This session particularly, there was nothing that we came across that would have made that issue happen. However, there are times where that could go wrong. I will say, uh, in regards to that at least, uh, there is the uh, possibility of having a homebrew home rule for like getting a mulligan for when you have a, uh, a haunting. So you would just that is an option, yeah. pull up a different uh, omen and then redo it. I think I read that the Scooby-Doo version of the game actually has a mechanic where you can volunteer to be the traitor or decide who is the traitor. And that so kind of Fred. <laughs> he doesn't have a catchphrase. Get him. I'm pretty sure his catchphrase is let's split up gang, which is exactly what the traitor would say. Yeah. Which, uh, I'm just saying that it'd be very easy for any edition of Betrayal to decide, ah, uh, no, somebody else can be the traitor. So if it's somebody's first game or something, or they really don't feel comfortable with that, you can say, you know, it's supposed to be this person, but, you know, someone else can do it. It's fine. Alright, so moving on to replay value. I gave it a 2. I I do like this game, but it's not one that I would play repeatedly over and over again. It's not one that I would... I, it's the kind of game that you play once or twice, and you put it away for a little while, and then you play it again and enjoy it. I mean, I... In reference to the base game, I would probably agree with you. Uh, in reference to the Legacy game... If we had this baseline, I know Larry probably would want to play it another like fourteen or fifteen times. You actually can't. That is a downside. Well, I I mean, you if you had a completely new legacy version. Oh, oh, if it was scrubbed clean, I would definitely go through the campaign. Really? Okay. Because uh, there's quite a different, quite a few different options that you can come across. More so than just the names you give to things. Exactly. Huh. Uh, yeah, I would. I gave it a three. Uh, for Legacy specifically, because uh, it's ever-evolving nature, at least until you reach the, the end game of like 2004 or whatever it was. And uh, I gave it a 3 as well. I probably would have given it even higher if I had the ability to. I personally think that this is one of the best games for replayability in its category. Uh, the base game specifically I'm thinking about, the fact that you rebuild the house from scratch every time, the house is never the same, uh, the fact that you have dozens of pots to potentially pick from, that you know, until you've played the game exhaustively, you're still getting haunts you've never seen before. Uh, I wasn't even considering the Legacy Edition. Normally, I'm kind of leery of Legacy Editions because, well, once you've played them through the Legacy part, you like can't play them again, so now you have a dead board. But this Legacy Edition actually just kind of becomes a normal-ish betrayal once you're done with the Legacy portion, and it still has that, you know, custom experience most times, although I would give it a detractor as it has a lot fewer haunts than the base game does. Yeah, uh, that, that is an issue that I'm finding with the Legacy Edition as well, looking over the list after. So in the book, there are 65. 
when you go to the free play mode, quote unquote, there are only, I want to say 20, it might be a bit higher, it might be 30. Even so, it cuts the book almost in half on what's available. But you also have to look at it from the aspect of you just played 14 games where there's one to two options for each haunt, so you do still get the full value out of it. And to, to kind of go back to it, as far as Ian's comment, this is not a game he would play you know, one after the other. This is a game I have played like once a week for several weeks and do not mind. So there is that. I, that's my opinion on the matter. That, that's just more personal preference on my part. Yeah. And we are entitled to our preferences. In fact, we're in the preference section. Yes, we are. So. Uh, I, I also feel like this uh, section that we're going to next is going to be very much like enjoyment because I think we were all like mind and how we determined the game. Uh, on our classic to innovative, simple to complex scale. Uh, I'm assuming everyone also went for uh, innovative in some sense and complex in some sense. Correct. It's hard to say innovative now just because it has been established as a popular game for so many years, but it, kind of thinking back to it, it's a, I, I couldn't think of other games that really play like Betrayal does with kind of that level of customizability. So I gave it a three for innovative as well. I think at this point in time, I would rate it at a two just because I have seen quite a few other games that adopt one to five or six of the same mechanics that you're going to see in this. So at this point, I mean, back in 2004, this was probably the craziest thing that they've ever seen. We also only got to, you know, using Blackberries as cell phones at that point in time. But... At the time, it was probably absolutely mind-blowing. I think the closest thing that existed back then would probably have been, what is it called, like Tales of Arabian Nights or something. That was a very story-based game that had different scenarios each time you played. But even that was one solid board. So I still gave it a two just because what we've developed from since then. But it's still a very enjoyable, different kind of experience that you don't see too often. It definitely sets standards in the board gaming world and the hobby. Uh, that's why I give it an innovative three, because when it came out, I feel like it was uh, it kind of revolution. I wouldn't say revolutionized things, but it, it definitely made an impact. And you definitely see a lot more clones of it now, and a lot of games that have taken ideas from Betrayal and incorporated them into their own system. But for what it is, I feel it's very innovative. I would say that it would be a little bit like asking if Dark Souls was an innovative game. <laughs> Nowadays, maybe not so much. There are so many Souls-like games, but it defined the category, and that's kind of the thing. Mm -hmm. So, as far as complex, simple goes, I think we all agreed that it was not a simple game. No. Though I do think we all have some varied opinions on how complex it was, or if it was a good or bad complex. So I, I personally put it sort of in the middle, complex two. Uh, I feel like there was uh, a lot of things going on. It's been well established now, uh, but I, I feel like there was never so much going on that you would you like were completely lost. There was always something you could source back to to figure out what was going on. There are a lot of moving parts. We, I mean, just just for our game, which I, maybe is not is a not a great example of, of how many. Moving, parts uh, there normally are, but definitely a good example of how many moving parts there can be. 
because we had one queen ant with like four different ants that wanted to go to that queen ant at one time and multiple others that were spawning about four or five per turn that were moving at a move rate of four move dice and would stop and attack things on the way as well as a homicidal monkey, a strange <laughs> little girl, and a groundskeeper who just wanted to bury something. All of these parts were being moved around along with things like, well, what's your uh, character's ability to do things? Like, for example, mine might be I get to say no to an event card. What are your items do, and how do they interact with each other, and what's going on currently? There are, is so much to keep track of. If you miss one word on a item you get, you might misinterpret it so much that you go from four damage dice to eight damage dice. Or that is a specific dice. example, actually. It is an actual example of something that happened. Yeah. We missed one word on a card that we didn't pay attention to, and we thought we were gods. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I was kind of in the same camp there. I, I gave it a two for complex. I didn't give it quite the one that you gave it. But even we, who are relatively familiar with the game, uh, I know that I missed uh, tile text a couple of times that made a fairly significant difference at one point in the game. We were like, wait a second, uh, these tiles can't connect the way they're currently connected. What happened? And uh, there were instances of you know, people forgetting their ability and not using it when they perhaps could have. And uh, so there was, there was a lot going on. And I think that it says something that we still enjoyed ourselves despite missing things occasionally. But... Even we who knew what we were doing, we're still missing things occasionally. So there's, there is a lot going on there. As far as complexity goes for me, I'm, I'm always going to be a tough one to consider something incredibly complex because I come from you know playing a lot of wargaming and a lot of large-scale Twilight Imperium Nemesis-esque games where most of these wouldn't even fit on the table that we use. So... It's still mildly complex, in my opinion, just because of the, the upkeep. But it's not something that I would consider at least someone at my skill level to be distracting or to take away from it. It's certainly not welcoming. You know, you don't you don't bring your five-year-old to the kitchen table and be like, we're going to play this, by the way, you're setting this up. They're going to have an awful time trying to keep track of everything. But it is something that, you know, you and a couple of friends or you and the family could sit down and play and still understand what's going on and be able to keep track of things. Alright. So with that, what was everyone's totals? Uh, I've rounded out to a 33. 33. 33. 33. Uh, uh, yeah. Also 33. Oh, well, probably wow. could have been higher, but... Uh, I had 34. <laughs> it's those half points, guys. Uh, so that puts our average to, oh boy, I'll, just a slight 33.25. Yeah. So, yep. Oh yeah, you're math genius. I don't know. I'm not a math <laughs> genius, I just do it every day. Math genius. He's better at it than us, that is all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a low bar. It uh, doesn't count for much if my students can't dis uh, understand what I'm saying. <laughs> but that's entirely that's here or there. Uh, what I will say is that as a teacher, it is my job to get them to understand what I'm saying, and if that doesn't happen, then I am not doing my job effectively. It's true that they should be paying attention as well, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any final comments on betrayal, 
at House on the Hill. Not really. I feel like we covered quite a few of the bases, at least from my perspective. Yeah, definitely. Anybody who hasn't played it and is listening to this podcast, I highly recommend trying yeah, it. Go play it. But you could probably find a copy to play at your local game store. Uh, you don't necessarily have to buy it before you try it, but definitely give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a game I recommend to people who want to get into more complicated board games and need a starting point. Yeah, that's the, the gateway game, so to speak. Yeah, it is, in a lot of ways. Having played this, I kind of uh, wish that I had gotten to play the, the, uh, the default game, legacy, the yeah, legacy prior. But even still, would recommend. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dancing with the Bards. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can follow us at Dancing with the Bards on Twitter or subscribe to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv withbards. You can also find any information about the game Betrayal at the House on the Hill at the Wizards of the Coast website. Okay, I would like you to do a retake of that. Uh, but this time, with more energy and better. Do you want me to? And the I don't actually have it written. I was just uh, oh, reading yeah. off a oh, previous oh, intro. Oh. Wait, then it's pulled out. Do you want me to just read it? Sure. I don't actually have it. It's not an intro, uh, outro written for this. I was just reading the outro for Fiasco. And you don't have to have the, the trail one. You can pre-reel it. Yeah. Well, pre-reeling it, I would recommend. That's how we got here. Uh, yeah. Content, well, I mean, if he's trying to adapt something else on the fly, that could definitely cause some pauses. Also, the lack of Transylvanian accent is just heartbreaking. Yeah, oh, yeah. Exactly. Full Transylvanian. I thought the same thing. Like, it, we should go out on the same energy you entered. Ah, all right. Thank you for watching another great episode. Don't forget the ha ah, ha. Yeah. Right, hold on. Where do we have doing accents? We know what makes me better. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Perform, damn it! <laughs> okay! <laughs> I want to tell you about our sponsor, Raid Shadows! <laughs> Careful, remember, blow into the window. I did. Fire alarm. That's also like wispy. Alright, so. Your vape will set it I'm going to uh, just rewrite this real quick. Damn. Do you guys want to buy a decommissioned nuclear submarine? Yes, thank you. Oh, well, there's two very different people at this table. (laughs) Both of us answered fast, at least. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) The heart's true desire. The table is the I don't want a submarine. What are you talking about? I don't want a submarine. My question is how to decommission. I am also in that camp of fuck yeah, I want a submarine, and then I think of things. Practical, like where would I put it? How would I use the it? ocean? The, the whole ocean is your storage. Now, place. my question is: is how decommissioned? That is so. I I'm not. I I from what I've read, it's a decommissioned Russian nuclear submarine. So the fuel. Oh, so, so, so we are we are still recording. Yes, we are. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, we're ready. All right. All right. Thank you, ladies and germs, for joining us for this particularly great episode of Dancing with the Bards. 
If you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Dancing with the Bards on Twitter. Or subscribe to our Twitch channel at Twitch or subscribe to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv dash with bards. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Once again, I apologize to the entire country of Transylvania. <laughs> they made me do it. Is Transylvania a country? I mean, yes. it's a dumb question. But yes, it is. I thought it was in region, Romania. I don't know if it was actually Transylvania a is a region in Romania. <laughs> I'm sure it's a whole country. It may have been once. <laughs> Probably yeah, used to be a country. What an offensive accent! Two <laughs> offensive accent! Alright, goodbye, everyone. Have an evening. Goodbye! Oh, I love you!